Well, this is my friend, Corey Russell. Many of you know him, but for those of you that are newer to him, he and his wife, Dana, and their family were here at IOPKC for many, many years, and now they're in Dallas at the Upper Room with Michael Miller and the team down there, and man, what a joy just to have you all here and see you and see your kids growing up, and I just, I'm so grateful to you just as a friend and uh, so much of your life in God. I mean, to my wife and I, going to your house, doing prayer meetings when we were in our eight, you know, we're 18, 19, 20 years old, and, and going there and just the passion that you carry for revival and intercession has so provoked me in so many ways. And so I just wanted to say thank you, man. I'm so glad that you're here. I love you too. Well, let's just stretch out our hands towards Corey. Father, we ask that you would release the grace of God. We thank you for your servant. We thank you for what you're doing through him and in him and through Dana and their family. Lord, through the upper room, our friends in Dallas, the Millers and Lord, we ask for the increase of your presence. We wanna hear what you're saying, what is on your heart. We want the international family of affection to be strengthened in this hour. We wanna see the church take her place in the place of intercession and prayer, devotion before you. We thank you for the Russells. We thank you for Corey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. love you. Good morning. It's so good to be with you. Just my heart's so full, all the familiar faces and family and friends. We spent 18 years here in this house and it's just so deep in our hearts of who we are. I've got my wife over here, Dana, and I got my youngest daughter, Hadassah, somewhere. It's probably helping Lenny over there in the children's area. And, and then I've got my middle daughter, where's my at? Anywhere, anyway. Can't find them. <laughs> then go get them to hear, hear their dad preach. Um, I'm just playing. They hear me preach to them all the time. Um, no, it's an honor to be with you guys. Uh, it's been, I was doing the math. It's probably been, we, in January was three years. January 2019 when we moved to Dallas to join the Upper Room team there. And I think it was about three years, September. So here around this time, three years ago, I preached my last message in this pulpit, which was uh, on the gift of tears and uh, uh, how I felt like the Lord was awakening a deeper cry, taking us to prayer on the other side of words. And it looks like tears. And I, and I really feel like God is awakening revival praying again. And revival praying is ugly praying. It's lots of, lots of mascara flowing and tears and tongues and travail. And it's not about how beautiful you say it, but about how deep you pray it. Last night I was sharing at, we had a, a conference here, uh, Awaken the Dawn conference here, and uh, I was talking about Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. You know, one of the greatest prayers in the Bible wasn't even audible. Isn't that amazing? One of the greatest prayers in the Bible that literally shifted history that in, because of this barren woman's prayer, she literally wasn't saying words, but looked like a drunk woman. She looked like a fanatic. She's sitting there with her mouth moving is what the Bible says, but nothing was coming out of her mouth. Her cry was so loud, it wasn't even audible. It was so deep. And the sad part of 1 Samuel 1 is that the spiritual leadership of the day, Eli, it had been so long since the spirit of prayer was resting on someone, he thought she was drunk. The great indictment is when, how long has it been since we've seen the spirit of prayer resting on someone? And because of that barren woman's deep cry to God, God in one generation broke off barrenness, which I believe Hannah represented the nation. Hannah represented the state of the nation. And in one generation, he restored the priesthood. The purity of ministry to God which would then become the door of the restoration of the prophet through Samuel, and that prophet would anoint King David many years later that would usher in his throne and his kingdom. And I, I, I just, I wanna talk to you this morning on intercession. Everybody say intercession. You know, it's kinda like I'm preaching to the choir. You know, it's the thing that IHOP is the most known for across the earth is the ministry of intercession. 
but I've found in my life that the thing that you're usually the most known for is usually the most contested and many times neglected reality. It's the, you know, you have a name that you're this, but you're not. It's not as fresh fire and fresh reality, and I believe that God wants to strengthen the ministry and the spirit of intercession at IHOP Kansas City. I believe he wants to release fresh fire on the altar of our hearts individually, which it's the fire on our hearts individually that fuels the corporate fire. And when we've got living, fiery stones showing up together, that's what creates context for the fire on the corporate altar. I think it's so interesting that the first phrase that the Holy Spirit spoke to Mike in, in Cairo, Egypt in 1982, he gave him the four heart standards that the Lord, not the only four heart standards, but the four heart standards that he wanted to emphasize, and the first one was intercession. Intercession, that ministry of standing in the gap between two opposing parties for the purpose of reconciliation. The intercessor that would get in the middle, and I really believe that God wants to release fresh fire. One of the things that have changed about me is I have readers now, so there's a lot that's changed in this season. I just want to prepare you for that when you see this. It might be a new side of me. We're in a new season. So let me, let me just preach it from here. Um, here's, the, here's the tension that we have or the, uh, or the pressure that we have. The Lord has called us to keep the fire on the altar until. We're going on until the Lord returns and then on even into the millennium, the fire on the altar shall never go out. This is our call, is the marathon and the journey of being faithful, not quitting no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much difficulty, circumstances, lack of resources, pressures. That's the call is faithfulness for the long journey. And that's beautiful and that's glorious and that's the call and the assignment on here. But we're called not to just be faithful, but to live full of faith every step of the journey. How do we stay with a marathon pace of praying until while being responsive, poised, tender, and ready to move into today's contractions and in today's anointed prayer to breakthroughs for today? And that's the real tension of faith is living in realities. We're living with the long game while being ready for today's contractions to break through what God wants to release in this season. That's the real call of faith, is refusing to just anchor just to someday and going through motions, but living with an abiding word on the inside of you and living with a fresh reach for God in every season and being able to move through that. That's what marked us. I was here, me and we moved here in December of 2000, we moved from uh, Northwest Arkansas two days after graduating with an elementary education degree. I did a 40-day fast while teaching kids, and I was not a good teacher in my student teaching, but two days after graduating from college, we moved up here to become intercessory missionaries. We lived over at King's Quarters right over here. We had $500 of confirmed support, and we said, that makes sense. Let's go for it. And we jumped in to trailer to, to, the, to that beginning. The prayer room had been going for about 15 months. And I want to tell you what marked that trailer season and even into 03 and 04 as we moved over to Redbridge was this sense of the corporate intercession that rested upon our prayer meetings. There was such a lively expectation of the breakthrough of God that God heard our prayers, that God moved at the sound of our voice, and the Holy Spirit would catch us up into his heart as we would co corporately move together with one knock against the door of heaven for the breakthrough that he would release. I remember one specific prayer meeting over here. I mean, and guys, 
We used to go into times of extended praying in the spirit. Warring in the spirit is what we called it. Where we would war and labor in the spirit. Our worship leaders would lead us. And there was a corporate, everybody in unity. And I remember Ann House, little Ann House, got up there and began to pray that God would bankrupt, expose, and destroy all the pedophile rings in our city. That God would release a line of demarcation in the pedophile industry in Grandview. That's what I love about corporate intercession. It's focused. It's powerful, and we all went around it. She prayed into it. The spirit of prayer fell on us, and we probably warred in the spirit for about an hour, an hour to two hours, and we labored. And later on that night, one of the biggest pedophile child pornography bust that have ever happened in the region happened on that day. A guy doing a random, a guy doing a random, he was getting his car detailed, and while they were doing the detail, they opened up the trunk and found thousands of DVDs, and the guy got busted, and it ended up opening up one of the biggest uh, uh, industries in the region. See, I believe that's because God moved on a group of intercessors, and we moved in one voice, and we had this simple yet profound revelation God hears my cry. God moves at the sound of my voice. When I war together, the ceilings are lifted and we enter into the, I call it the brass knuckle knock of heaven. And we've got the brass knuckles of heaven against the doors of heaven and we saw breakthroughs. Those things happened a lot. And I believe that God wants to increase that kind of expectation again. I remember E.M. Bounds, the great writer on prayer, said years ago that unanswered prayer is the training ground for unbelief. Unanswered prayer. I believe that we need to get an expectation that what we're praying for is happening as we're asking it. It is happening. It's happening on a global scale. It's happening on a national scale. It's happening on a city scale. But I believe that God wants us to bring us into breakthroughs in our families. That we wouldn't just live with the constant cycles that we've lived in, but that we would begin to storm the gates of heaven and hell, seasons of fasting for the breakthrough of God in our marriages, in our children, in our families, and that God would move. Intimacy and eschatology must fuel our intercession with confidence and urgency. The ditches we must stay out of is turning our intimacy into a narcissistic, introspective, soaking time. Me and Mike have been joking around about it the last couple of days, but I've been calling them, one of the things that I'm seeing, and I've been at, in Upper Room for the last couple of years, I've been traveling the earth for the last 15 to 17 years, I'm seeing there's a fear that's hitting me and, and, and that it's corporate prayer is turning into holy hot tubs. It's just turning into the glorified soaking sessions where we just rest in the presence of God and it's almost like I, where we just, I love the intimacy, I love meeting with Jesus, but when it just turns into what I can get from Jesus and how I'm feeling in this moment, and that becomes the goal is how I'm feeling and how nice life is. And I don't have to think about all the problems at home. I've, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. And I, I say it and I say this because the fruit of intimacy is impregnation. And if you're truly getting intimate with God and the word, you will be getting pregnant with his burdens. You will be getting filled with the knowledge of his will. So I have to ask myself, if we're building cultures of constant soaking, are you getting pregnant? Are you getting envisioned with the burden of the Lord, with the will of the Lord, with the zeal that lays hold of you? Because the first commandment will always lead to the second. And I want to call IHOP to the place, yes, you take your Bible, you read that word, you soak before that word, encounter him in intimacy, but let that word get abiding on the inside of you. 
I want to tell you because when the word of God gets living on the inside of you, that's when the spirit of prayer begins to operate in your life. The spirit of prayer is the word of God abiding in you. It's when you get filled. Do you know what moves God? God moves God. When God hears God through you, God moves. And the way that we receive the knowledge of God's will is through God's word. I hit on this last night. I want to call us into an active engagement in the Bible. The two ditches is the intimacy that can turn into narcissistic introspection. And the other ones is if we just look at eschatology as merely intellectual stimulation that doesn't move us to urgency in our prayers, fellowship with one another, and love and zeal for the lost. Daniel 9 is one of our banner chapters over this place. And what did Daniel do when he understood the season he was living in? What did his understanding of his end times thrust him into? When I understood by the books the number of the years specified by Jeremiah the prophet, then I set my face. Then I set my face. My fear, if our understanding isn't thrusting us into the gap, what is it doing? What's it bringing us to? I believe that our revelation must fuel intercession, evangelism, and intentionality with one another. It's to produce an urgency for the sake of the lost. It's to produce an urgency for the sake of our families. It's to produce an urgency for the sake of our nation. The urgency for the sake of the globe. And that we would break through peripheral, plastic, high fives and hugs and actually begin to get vulnerable with one another. And if your eschatology isn't leading you to vulnerability, go back to page one until it does. It produces urgency and intentionality. God has called this house to raise up 100 million intercessors for the salvation of Israel. Well, this is what I'm... Well, what do we do? If God wants to release fresh fire on the altar of IHOP Kansas City. God wants to release fresh fire on the altar of your heart. I refuse to go through motions. I refuse to check off boxes. I refuse to check off an hour I'm supposed to be in there. I'm like, God, I'm here before you. I want to encounter your heart and I want to believe again. This is why the children of Israel could not walk into the promised land. They hardened their hearts and they, they could not enter in because of unbelief. And I, I, I've been saying that I believe tenderness is the great response and the great call to us in this hour. Well, how are we going to grow in the spirit of intercession? Is that we're going to start gritting our teeth and yelling a little louder and pacing a little harder? That might help some of y'all. Some of you need to put your laptops down and you need to pace. And I'm not talking about anybody. I, I spend the majority of my time on laptops, but there's times where Jesus shows up to me and he goes, put it down. Start pacing. Start praying. Start singing. Start whispering the Bible. Whatever they're praying up at the mic, and I remember Mike would say this to us in the early days, whatever they're praying up at the mic, say the phrase. Say the phrase. And, that, and I want to encourage you to start pacing. Some of you need to rock. Some of you need to shift yourself out of the mode you're in and you need to begin to engage. But, but it's more than just trying harder. I want to call you into beholding Christ the intercessor. I want to call you into beholding Christ the intercessor. There's been a phenomenal book by Samuel Whitfield right here in your midst. Discipleship begins with beholding. Christianity is not about trying harder. It's about beholding him. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says we... We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That our method of discipleship is not by screaming louder, it's by understanding that Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father. 
And Jesus is engaged in full-time ministry. Do you know that? Do y'all know Jesus is in full-time ministry right now? No, no, I got three yeses. A house of intercession needs to understand that Jesus is in full-time ministry right now. He's not in a lazy boy. He's not in a hot tub chilling, waiting until the fun stuff happens. He's in intercession. Hebrews 7.25, you need this one tattooed on your spirit. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for you. He, all, he is able to save to the uttermost. Everybody say uttermost. uttermost. Say it again. Uttermost. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you know that you can have full confidence that what God's begun with you, he is able to complete it until the day of Christ? Why? Because he's not going anywhere. He's made one sacrifice for sins once and for all. He offered his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. And Jesus is able to not only justify you, but sanctify you and glorify you. Why? Because he forever lives to make intercession. So I've asked myself, Jesus, what does your intercession in the throne look like? Is it Lou Engel? No, it says he's making intercession. It's not just made intercession. That would be a past tense, offer his blood, but he's making intercession right now. It's a present tense reality that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession. So I ask myself, is he rocking? And we know he's sitting. But, he, but Acts 7, Stephen saw him standing. Is he pacing? How, what does it look like for Jesus to make intercession in the throne? And as I've wrestled over that verse for 20 years, I've boiled it down to three things. Number one, the very fact that a man is in heaven makes intercession for all of us. Hebrews 9.24 says that he has appeared not in the tabernacle of men, but in the heaven itself, that he may appear in the presence of God for us. Holy Spirit. See, the cry of the Old Testament is, is there a man? Isaiah 59 verse 16 says that God sought for a man. Why did God have to seek for a man? Why couldn't God make intercession for himself? Why did it take him becoming a man to make intercession for men? Isaiah 59, 16, it says, he looked for a man. He saw that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness, it sustained him. So when God could not find a man, God became a man. And God reached out to a broken, cursed, under death people. And he is Abba's reach to us. And he's our reach to Abba. He climbed up on that cross in Isaiah 53. The very last verse of Isaiah 53 says he made intercession for the transgressors. Isn't that amazing? Most of us think of intercession as a loud prayer meeting. Intercession is a life surrendered to the will of God. Intercession is loudest when you're the most surrendered. He came, he died, he rose again, and he ascended. And I believe it's time for the church to, if we're going to grow in intercession, you need to see him as the intercessor. Three things I want to hit on this. Number one is seeing Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Seeing Jesus at the right hand of the Father. I really believe that God wants to restore throne room perspective to IHOP Kansas City. 
to Forerunner Church, I believe it's time for the throne to begin to get reestablished in our hearts and our minds. I believe we all got exposed in 2020 and 2021 how we've been living in the second heavens way too long. We haven't seen the throne in a while because we got caught so off guard by the turbulence of our election cycle and the turbulence of our news channels and our social media channels and our barbershop talk and our home group talk that actually kept us in the second heavens of agreeing with other bodies' counsel instead of anchoring our soul to the throne on the other side of the presence. We need a renewed vision of the throne room. We need a renewed vision of the man that's at the right hand of the Father. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And that verse is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. The revelation of the ascension and the installment of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. That's to guard the mindset. That's to prepare where we set our affections. Friends, we must learn how to ascend in this hour. Because we're at a 2.0 on the treadmill and most of us are worn out. And I'm here to tell you it's on purpose to deliver you from living in your own strength, your own wisdom, and your own resources, and to begin to connect you to divine resource. God's intention is wearing you out. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We love that. What did Jesus do in John 17, 1? As Billy said in our first service, he lifts his eyes with eyes wide open and he starts talking to the sky. Where did he go? Who was he looking at? What was Jesus connecting to? To, to see a man looking at the sky, talking to someone. He ascended to the throne. Do you know how to ascend? Or do you keep worshiping your circumstances? Do you keep going from trial to trial and whatever today's report is, that's what's gonna govern yourself. Friend, we've got to begin to ascend to the throne of God. What does that mean? It means you say Bible verses and you pray in the spirit and you begin to declare the truth until. Until what? Until you, the shift comes and you get there. What does that mean? When you get there, you'll know. I'm telling you in that place is peace, Joy, righteousness, and perspective. Seeing him, it says in Hebrews 4, he's passed through the heavens. Hebrews 8 said he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So number one, seeing him. Number two, you can't join him until you've received his intercession for you. It's John 13. Unless you let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. His presence is making intercession for you. His blood, Hebrews 12, 24, the blood that speaks a better word than that of Abel is crying out mercy on your behalf. And number three, Jesus is speaking words before the Father. I believe he's praying John 17. I believe he's praying Psalm 2, 8. I believe he's praying Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. Satan's come to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. Everybody look around the room right now. We barely know each other, but if I really knew you, you know what I'd be thinking? How are you in here? Uh, I can't even believe the stuff I know about you now. How are you in here? You need to ask yourself, look around the room. We don't know each other barely. Some of us do know, but I wanna tell you this. How are you in here? It's because there's a man at the right hand of the Father who has prayed for you. His prayers carried you through your darkest nights, kept you from wanting to kill yourself, kept you from wanting to leave your marriage, kept you from wanting to leave your family, kept you from giving up on life, kept you from going bankrupt, kept you from running away from the call of God. How are you here? It's the power of intercession that held you, sustained you, kept you, delivered you, shielded you, 
and kept you moving when you don't even remember those days. Satan's asked to sift you wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail and after you've returned, strengthen your brethren. So it's about seeing the throne, number two, receiving his intercession for you. Here's a good question for everybody in this room. Are you a good receiver? I wanna tell you your limitations in receiving the grace of God is based solely on how good of a receiver you are. You're like, well, I don't do well with receiving. Well, I'll say you have a gospel problem then. You have a grace problem then. How good of a receiver are you? That's the core of the gospel is receiving. And you can't join him until he does it for you. Well, you're like, he did it for me. That's why I'm saved. No, brother, you were saved, you're being saved, and you're gonna be saved. And you received it to get justified. You've gotta receive it to get sanctified. So receiving his intercession for you. And number three, joining him in his intercession. Everybody put your hand on your belly. I got some good news for everybody here. 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You have the third person of the Trinity dwelling on the inside of you. Which means this, now think about this. Think if I told all of you, I'm gonna die, but don't worry, my spirit's gonna come live in you. I'm like, I don't want your spirit in me. That's weird. You have, what is the spirit of a person? It's the deepest part of who, it's, it's who they are. You have the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling on the inside of you, which is profound, that though Jesus, the man, is at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, you have his very spirit living on the inside of you, which means this, I can feel what Jesus is feeling when he feels it. I can pray what Jesus is praying when he prays it. I can weep Jesus' tears when he's weeping it because I'm one spirit with him. I don't know about you, but that's profound to me. Some of y'all are like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. No, you have the deep of God, the most vulnerable of God living on the inside of you, and he's not just some stagnant little well on the inside of you. Romans 8, 26 says that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us or with us. With what? Groanings, which cannot be uttered. Most of us stop there. The next verse is actually pretty profound. It's now going to go into Jesus. It says, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because Jesus makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God, which means this, Holy Spirit within you and Jesus at the right hand of the Father are fully unified. They are fully joined in bringing you. We've been talking about Trinitarian fellowship, that Trinitarian dialogue. Jesus is in intercession. Holy Spirit's in intercession. Creation's groaning. We're groaning. Why? To bring us in to the contractions of God to take us into the deep contractions of God, to birth the will of God into the earth, to birth the will of God into our families, to birth the will of God into our marriages, to birth the will of God into our cities and our nations. God wants to bring us into his groan. God wants to bring us into his travail. That's the ministry of intercession. Wants to deliver us. I believe it's the abiding word. When the word of God gets on the inside of you, you become pregnant with, the he with heaven's will. 
Number two, Holy Spirit. I wanna call the house afresh to engaging deeply with the Holy Spirit. He will bring you, but see, this is gonna deliver us. We're gonna have to quit looking at our circumstances. We've got to say, God, take me in. Let pressure drive me into surrender. Don't, God, I don't wanna run to medicating or anesthetizing the pain. Let my pain drive me into union with the Holy Spirit. I've been saying it for years that pressure and presence produce prayer. How do we begin to engage with the indwelling spirit afresh? Talking to him. This is 101 of this house. But again, that's where you're in the most trouble is the stuff that we assume is the stuff we rarely do. Talking to the Holy Spirit. And I want to call the fresh praying in the Holy Spirit. I want the buzzing in the room to begin to increase. I love mystical contemplation. I love meditation. But I want to hear a buzz afresh in the prayer room. I want that prayer language rolling, not loud, but soft, enough for you to hear you doing it. You're like, I don't have my prayer language. Today's your lucky day. We're going to pray for you. <laughs> it all worked out. I want to call the house in to praying in the Holy Spirit he says that when a man speaks in tongues, he does not speak to men, but he speaks to God. And that he speaks mysteries in the spirit. He edifies himself. Luke 11, the disciples spent three and a half years with the Son of God. They go, we want your prayer life. And he goes, we'll rip up your prayer list. I want to take you to the throne of God and introduce you to my Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Prayer isn't about your list. Let your list come about third or fourth down the list. Connect to a person and a place and his name. Learn how to ascend before you request. Learn how to connect before you request. And then Jesus gives us a parable about a friend at midnight. And he says, this is how I'm going to teach you about prayer. Midnight knocks will come to the door of your life that you weren't prepared for. And these midnight knocks will expose you, drive you to your knees, and bring you into a painful revelation. You don't have anything. However, you know someone who told you you can come to them anytime and God will answer. And what do you do when you need a breakthrough now, but yet God isn't moving on your timetable? Do you disengage your heart and keep saying words? Do you keep using the formula? It's not the power of the words that moves God. It's the engaged heart with the simple phrases. He says, will you refuse to get out of the furnace and keep using buzzwords and phrases and formulas? And will you give me the pain of living in the tension and saying, God, I need a breakthrough now. I'm not going anywhere and I come again. It says that he will not rise and give to him because he's his friend. Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And Jesus looks at us and he says, so I say to you, ask, seek, and knock. We have it on your wall. We have it on our wall. Will not God avenge his elect who cry out to him day and night? We need to get a cry again. We need a, we need a cry, not loudness, but depth. Faith that reaches, that throws itself out in the vulnerable place of God may not, but I'm going to dare to believe he is. I don't want to build theologies that protect me theologically. I don't want to build constructs that build it and keep me safe at a distance. I want to bear. Billy in the first service talked about the vulnerability of opening yourself up with someone else at the, at the cost of rejection and that being used against you. I believe in the same way God is calling us into vulnerability with God, saying, I believe your promises. 
Do what you said you're going to do, God. And I ask you to do it right now at the sound of my voice. That requires vulnerability. That requires us to press past. And then that looks like ugly praying. Because when you start touching those deep things, tears are going to flow. Travail will start coming. Ugliness will start happening as it disrupts you on the inside and you're left in a vulnerable place. Well, what if he doesn't answer? He is a God who does not make broken promises. Let God be true and every man a liar. Isaiah 62, God says, I'm going to set watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem who will not hold their peace day or night. You who make mention, don't shut up. But don't clock in, you're not shutting up. Actually reach. I believe that God, and that's the thing that's gotten a hold of me. I believe that God wants to take our personal storylines to awaken a deep groan on the inside of us. I'll close with this. Some of the things I spoke about last night, I see it with Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. It says, year by year, she tried to play, I'm barren, but it's okay, I'm loved and life's good. I'm barren, it's okay, he loves me, it's good. And then finally, the dam broke, and it says that she was in bitterness of soul, she wept in anguish, and she prayed a prayer that changed history. In Genesis 32, 24, there's a phrase that says Jacob was left alone. Do you know there was 23 years in that verse? Jacob steals brother's blessing, runs off into the Laban circus, on his way back into the land, and he hears Esau's coming after him. He starts diversifying his portfolio. Sending wives and... All, he diversifies because he doesn't want Esau to take everything out in one swoop. So it says, now Jacob was left alone. What does it take God to get a man alone? What does it take for God to slowly wear you down of leaning on your own wisdom, resources, abilities, insights to be able to deliver yourself out of any situation? What does it take God? He's a specialist at this. He really gets in to getting a man alone. Because that's when Jacob would see a man walking on the other side of the brook. Jacob didn't know who this man was. It would be the pre-incarnate Christ who would walk up and that man would lay hold of Jacob. And they would enter into a midnight wrestle. God always waits till you've gotten alone and that's when God lays hold of you. And it says that he wrestled all night and Jacob turned into Israel and Jacob saw God face to face. And for the rest of his life, Jacob would walk like this. I'm so grateful for this house. I love this house with all my heart. Intercession is where I learned how to pray in this house. I got my life changed in this room. I believe there's another thrust. There's another spirit of prayer for a fresh release. The, the, the works and the, and the things out there. Guys, I've traveled the earth for the last 16 years. I've seen it. I've seen the small. I've seen the large. Many of you have as well, but I just want to attest to you the power of what that room down the road has birthed all over the earth. There are, there's whole movements born out of what God's done out of that room. And I want to say some of you, the Lord has called you here as reinforcements and the core of what we're about is intercession. It's agonizing intercession. It's passionate intercession. It's urgent intercession. It's confident intercession. It's sacrificial intercession. Because I believe there's a whole nother birth that's to come out of this house to release a new move all across this earth. And I just want to ask that God would mark you afresh with the spirit of prayer. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. I'm just going to ask a simple, I want to say a phrase again, and I, 
Spirit of prayer is the word of God abiding on the inside of you. I know when I have the spirit of prayer on my life and I know when I don't. Some of you have maybe never had that place. What would be my definition of the spirit of prayer? It's confidence that I have the ear of God, the heart of God, and the hand of God. If you don't have the spirit of prayer on you right now, I want you to come up here. I want to ask that God would mark you. You're like, what does that mean? You'll know what it means when you have it. Let's just try to stand on the lines or something. Guys, I remember Ann House telling me, I'm gonna keep talking about Ann today. I remember Ann House telling me that, the, and it's probably a quote from Mike, but the rarest anointing in the world is the spirit of prayer resting on someone. It's the rarest anointing in the whole earth. It's when the spirit of prayer is resting on someone. Just open up your hands. I just want to bless. I just. There's another. There's another birthing. There's another birthing. Some of you, we we birth things and then we take the hits for them, and we've been in the maternity ward recovering from the last one, and we felt the the rage of the dragon against the works, but I'm here to tell you, Mama's coming back out. We're getting back to the prayer room. We're getting back to the prayer room, and we're going to begin to re. Sign up in the word and in the spirit. We're going to begin to knock again at the door of heaven for a fresh release of the spirit of revival. I'm grateful for the prophetic history, but I don't want to just look at it like it's a museum. I want to take hold of the prophetic words and pull them in. I don't want to wait for them. I want to pull them in. 300,000 new converts, 500 to 5,000 overnight. God, I pray for, for Forerunner. I pray for IHOP. I pray for my family. I want the spirit of prayer. God, I want the spirit of prayer upon my life. God, I want the spirit of prayer upon my life. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Put an urgency in us. Put a wrestle in us. We've gotten domesticated. We've gotten passive and stagnant and apathetic. Knock the dullness off of us, Jesus. Luke 21, hearts weighed down. Release a buoyancy back on the prayer room. Release fire on the altar. Leviticus 6.13, Luke 18, Ezekiel 44. That's it. Begin to pray in the spirit all over the room. Pray loud enough for you to hear you. You've been in your head too long, friends. It's time to lift our voice. Out of the depths, I have cried to you, O God. Out of the depths, I have cried to you, O God. In my distress, I cried out to the Lord, and he heard me. My cry came before him, even to his
this to a close but everyone lift your hands you know every story in this room Jesus baptize all of us into the ministry of intercession baptize me into the ministry of intercession Jesus Moses saved a nation with his intercession 
Daniel changed history with intercession. Esther ended a death decree with intercession. Forgive us for graduating past intercession. Forgive us for moving on to the deeper stuff. Because there's nothing deeper than union with the heart of the Son of God. Let it get back on our worship teams, Jesus. Let it get back on our singers, Jesus. Let it get back on our musicians, Jesus. Oh, I want the spirit of prayer resting on my life. I want the spirit of prayer resting on my life, Jesus. Release the spirit of grace, I pray. We're going to just continue. You need to go get your kids. Go get your kids. We're going to bring this to a... We're just going to sit here in this environment. But officially bring it to a close if you want to go. Bless you. No, we're just going to stay in this for a little bit longer. Hey! Let it get unpredictable again, Jesus. What could happen if, if the burden of Jesus would enter a room? I want the burden of your heart. Thank you, God. <laughs>